Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. The first Sunday of the month, which is today, is always an extra special Sunday because we're all together, including kids and youth, we're all together in the sanctuary. And it is important and meaningful for us to all be together. This morning, I'm gonna ask all of our younger folks to just stay in the pews because we've got some fire going on up here and some ritual pieces and it's probably just easier if we all stay together like we are right now. And this morning I'd like to talk about, and we're all talking about, mental health and mental illness. And when we say mental illness, what we're talking about is a kind of sickness in our body and that takes place in our brain. And our brain is a place where our thoughts and our feelings live. And so living with mental illness means living with a kind of sickness that has a big impact on the way that we think and the way that we feel. And one example of what it might look like for those of us living with mental illness is we might feel a really heavy sadness, a heavy sadness that makes it hard to do the things we have to do in everyday life sometimes, like go to work and feed ourselves well and take care of our home. Living with mental illness might mean feeling anxiety, and that just means living with feelings of fearfulness or nervousness. And this means we might need other people to help us and encourage us sometimes to offer us support as we go out and meet new people or encounter a new situation or even go to the store to get groceries. And um, an important part of all of this is that we're all people and we're all in this together. And I want to tell you a story about this. It is a true story, and it takes place far away in a country called Belgium, in a town called Hale. And in this town, there is a big, beautiful church. And there is a legend that says that if you are experiencing mental illness and you would like to find healing, you can go to the town of Hale and into the big, beautiful church and get miraculously cured. And so starting hundreds of years ago, people started coming from all over to this church to find healing. And at one point, there were so many travelers, visitors, seeking healing that they couldn't all fit into the church anymore. And so the people in the town of Hale said, what should we do? Let's welcome these folks as guests in our home. And this was over 500 years ago that this practice started. The townspeople of Hale welcoming people seeking healing from mental illness into their homes. And sometimes people will stay for a week, sometimes they might stay for a year. And this practice continues right now to this very day. And the town of Hale has changed in the last 500 years. 
there's um, a mental health center, there are doctors, there are medications, and all these parts are very important. But this acceptance and openness, uh, this invited, practice of inviting guests into their home continues in the town of Hale. And it offers support for the simple things that sometimes people need support with. And so there is a woman, uh, her name's Ellen Barker, and she studies mental health and mental illness. And she wanted to find out more about this town and this practice, and so she went and visited and did interviews with people. And in her interviews, she got to know somebody who was known locally as the Buttons Guy. And folks called him the Buttons Guy because he lived with really big feelings of feeling scared and feeling nervous. And something that helped the Buttons Guy to find a feeling of calm is to twist the buttons on his button-up shirt. And he would twist and twist and twist every day until the button would come off. And then he would twist and twist the next button. And by the end of the day, this man's buttons were all off of his shirt. And he would go to sleep in the home where he was staying. And his host mother would carefully sew each button back on the shirt. And Ellen Barker came and saw this, and she really wanted to be helpful because she really cared. And she said, I have the solution to this problem. You should use fishing line to sew the buttons back onto the shirt. It's very strong, and this means that the buttons guy will never actually pop the buttons off the shirt. I've solved the problem, what do you think? And this host mother, actually looked disappointed and kind of offended. And she said, oh, I don't think you understand. To twist the buttons helps him. If I took this away from him to be able to twist off the buttons, that wouldn't be helping him at all. This is just what he does, who he is. And that's when Ellen Barker realized the real miraculousness of the healing offered in the town of Hale. And it was the acceptance of these people towards those living with mental illness who came into their community that they were just there to offer support and care and saw these folks as people just like them and welcomed them into their homes in really close, up close into their lives. And the miraculousness that happens when we are accepting like that is that everybody finds healing and everybody finds wholeness. Come, let us worship together. At last year's launch of this annual mental health service, I shared part of my story of living with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, a mental illness. I have struggled with periods of despair in my life to the point of wanting to end my life. This is one of the long-lasting results of the trauma that happened to me in my childhood home. I've come to believe that support is a good thing and it doesn't matter how much you need. The important thing is that you get it. Once supported, you, me, we can do great things in the world.
A wonderful example of this is the story of King George VI in the movie The King's Speech. He had a speech impediment, a stammer, and that condition was viewed at that time as a mental weakness. In order to give his most important live radio broadcast in 1939, he had to have all kinds of support in order to do it, and he did it. It's not often that we tell other people in our life what kind of support that we use. I've carried a level of shame at times about the support that I utilize, that I'm not normal. But you know what? I'm not ordinary. Last week, my art exhibit opened at the Minnesota History Center. It's called Weaving Wellness, Art, Community, and Mental Health Resilience. It started with the Minnesota Historical Society purchasing two of my pieces of art, two basketry sculptures that I made. And from there, they asked me to curate an exhibit where my baskets are in conversation with their collection. And on this coming Tuesday evening at the History Center, I'm going to be giving a lecture there. And that's called Reclaiming Basketry, Working Through Stigma to Reach Creative Potential. So you see, I'm not normal per se. I am doing great things in the world. I'm talking about what is real for me, someone who does art and happens to live with a mental illness. Today, I wanted to name some of the support that I include in my life so you and I can see that this support is a good thing and it's important. It has gotten me to the point of being able to share my gifts with the world. I start with a great healthcare team. It has taken me years of persistence to search out the providers that are the best match for me. I have a therapist that I see twice a week and she's using a special therapy technique that helped me look directly at the trauma head on so that we can then use the EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing to actually resolve it. These are really hard appointments for me and it's the key to my Arctic success. I have a primary doctor that I keep in close touch with when someone has a history of abuse to the body, you can become estranged from your own body, have a hard time reading its cues. My doctor helps me address the issues that come up. I have a psychiatrist that I see about every three months. It used to be monthly. And he was the one of the few people I trusted when he said it was time for me to go back on medication for my mental health. And I'm still on that medication and doing well. I also work as I'm able, volunteer, exercise, attend a weekly support group, and do art regularly. You, my church community, and friends are very important to me. It helps me feel lifted up and connected when I'm able to get here. I also belong to several CSPs, community support programs, that are sprinkled throughout the Twin Cities. Vail Place is one of those programs. The things I love about Vail Place are the wonderful staff there and the delicious homemade meals when I'm having trouble cooking my own. 
and the fact that they're open on the actual holiday and celebrate it with us. So when my friends comment about all the fun things that I do with the CSPs, I tell them, you too could have these if you had a serious and persistent mental illness. <laughs> Some of the other things I do to support my mental health are setting boundaries that help make my life feel easier and staying away from social media, watching the news or reading the newspaper as it pulls me down too much. Life hands each of us different things, things that are challenging and hard and things that are wonderful and amazing. I focus and address and nurture both. It's a full life, not an easy life, but you know what? I wouldn't trade it. It's my life, and I'm alive to enjoy it because of the support that I get. Thank you. I'm a longtime member of the church and always happy to see it finding new ways to live out its purpose, this being one. I'm a retired Hennepin County social worker, mental health case manager. I was stationed at Vail Place for several years. It's a wonderful community resource. Um, and now I'm a co-facilitator of a, a support group within the church here for uh, members experiencing mental illness. Josephine Dickinson says, there was a darkness in the air. I looked and saw it speak, felt it waiting by my back, not savagery, but near. It was like an autumn slack sharpening the air. Its shadow shone beneath the black as if the sun were there. It muscled in as meek a line, as black and sleek as lack of light, a smothered laugh, a sudden lifted care. It was ramrod straight from standing still in fear. The pain that chilled the hallway had suffocated dare. It was the father who was gone, the wife who went before, the brother who is never seen, the sister at the door. Mental illness is the darkness, the fear, the being frozen. Mental illness is the brilliant, powerful light that erases contour, color, self, but people with mental health challenges hold jobs, and those who do not work contribute in other ways. People with mental health challenges ride the bus with us. People with a lived experience of mental illness create. People with a lived experience of mental illness move among those of us with cancer, with diabetes, with family problems. And often, people with a mental health condition sit among us unacknowledged, unknown, recognized only as someone we have not spoken to. In his book, Mindful Ideograms, David Beebe writes in the introduction, psychosis burns me out, leaving the person devastated. There are whole lives one no longer needs to live. It takes a long time to rebuild the personality. One can begin again but it takes time. 
Effective response to mental health challenges requires many things. Medical, psychiatric care, safety, maintenance of basic supports, medication, education about the mental illness itself, a community, a place in the world. The experience of mental illness often hides a profound sense of aloneness. Recovery of mental health includes restoration of belonging. People with a lived experience of mental illness are whole people as complete in their brokenness as are we all, as much in need of spiritual solace as all of us. It is our flaws that make us all human. This, meaning, this morning, we make our covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. With all of our differences, we chose each other. With all our unique cares and concerns, we have chosen to come together in hope and belief as we are able. Speaking of conciliation and resolution among holy people at the end of a long peace, Joy Harjo said, when we made it back home, back over those curved roads that wind through the city of peace, we stopped at the doorway of dusk as it opened to our homelands. We gave thanks for the story for all parts of the story. Because it was by the light of those challenges, we knew ourselves. We asked for forgiveness. We laid down our burdens next to each other. This is a place built for love. And in that spirit, we lift up our brothers and sisters who live with mental illness. Hello. My name is Isha Caldwell, and this is my second time speaking, and I thought that I wouldn't be as nervous, but I still am. So can you guys just reach out and send me a little encouragement? Thank you. So I work for a company named Vail Place that several of us have mentioned. And in that company, I work in a department called Mental Health connect. So we've all come to First Universalist today to worship and to lift up the topic of mental health and mental illnesses. Today I want to focus more on mental wellness. Mental health in our society is still something that's really misunderstood by a lot of the population. Some don't understand or want to identify as having a mental health need or disorder or don't want to identify that they're impacted by mental health by a loved one. But it's important that we all come together and be open about these things like we're doing here today in an effort to reduce stigma and to lift up mental wellness for all. Although many can identify with wanting to have mental wellness, do we really know what it means? Mentalhealth.gov defines mental wellness as including our emotional, physiological, and social well-being. It affects how we think and act. It also helps to determine how we manage stressors, relate to others, and make choices. 
Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood to adolescence and through adulthood. For someone who has a mental health need or diagnosis, mental wellness may be harder to obtain. However, I can assume we all want to have mental wellness. It looks differently for different people. We should all take the time to educate ourselves and others around us about what mental health needs really are and how they can manifest themselves in different ways. Not all people who live with depression may be, not be clinically diagnosed. We as the community should still support them in gaining mental wellness, however that looks for them. This also goes for other diagnoses as well. Mental Health Connects and Veil Place work together to promote mental wellness and foster a place where people can come despite challenges that they may face to gain resources, work side by side, and build an inclusive community. As a mental health navigator, I work to advocate for those who have come against barriers around their mental health and wellness, and I help navigate them to resources. Some barriers may be financial, housing, finding a provider, or mental, other mental health resources, including insurance and more. We as mental health navigators work to go on the journey with the individual that we are serving. We want to open the doors to reduce, to open the doors to those resources to help people achieve their mental wellness. Our goal is to advocate for that. Thank you all for having me. Congregation, I, um, I want you to know, I shared this at the first service and I'll share it now too, in case you're wondering as you look in your order of worship and your watch perhaps, homily means a very short message. Um, I think that's helpful to know. I also think it's really important uh, to not be so bound by the clock in this linear sense of, well, we have to worship in an hour and it's done in an hour. We're making space for the truth and the wisdom and the care that is uh, a part of this service this morning. So I imagine you've all heard the term stigma. And when we hear it, stigma is understood as a mark of shame, of humiliation, disgrace, or dishonor. We hear it in the context of the stigma of living with mental illness, the stigma of addiction, the stigma of having been in prison or being in prison. And when it's used in that particular way, when we say, the stigma of something, it's, it's as if that person has been marked in some way that is now visible to the world that others them, that pushes them out of the human circle of care and compassion. Something about them is unacceptable when we use that word stigma. That's one way that word can be understood. But if you follow the history of that word further back in the Christian tradition, particularly in Catholicism, stigma and stigmata refer to the marks that would appear, this is stories over time, of marks that appeared on the human body that corresponded to the wounds of Jesus when he was crucified on the cross by the Romans. St. Francis of Assisi, many others, have, set, have been said to have had this experience of the stigmata. And in those cases, those marks were understood as a sign of exceptional faith, almost a, a blessing, a sense that there was this deep embodied connection 
with not only the suffering of Jesus when he died on the cross, but an understanding of the universal nature of suffering and being in that suffering with others. It was seen as something amazing, something remarkable, not a negative or something to be ashamed of or humiliated by. And here's where I'm going with this. The meaning we assign to these marks in our lives, the meaning our culture assigns to these marks in our lives, these things that mark us. Sometimes it's a visible mark, sometimes it's an invisible mark. The meaning that we assign, that is so often where the trouble lies. Some marks are seen as valuable. We say, oh, that's a, the meaning of that is, is good. And some marks we see, we say, oh, the meaning is damaging. But life marks all of us. Life marks every single one of us at the most basic and fundamental level. When we begin life with our first breath, we are marked for a physical death. There are many other ways we are marked as well. We are marked as able-bodied or not. We are marked as male or female, which may or may not, may not fit our identity. And so there is then this courageous next step that some of us take to mark ourselves in a different way, to escape the gender binary. We are marked by trauma, particularly unhealed or repeated trauma. We are marked as parents, as grandparents, as uncles, as aunts. We are marked by the color of our skin. We are marked by job titles or job losses. Some marks are visible, many are invisible. Some marks are discriminated against, and some of that discrimination, perhaps the hardest part of that discrimination at times, can be the internal, this internalized oppression, this sense of self-loathing, of self-judgment, a kind of internal harshness on ourselves that we would never practice with another human being. How others see us, how they see the marks we carry, it matters deeply. Do they accept or discriminate based on the marks that we carry? Do they embrace, welcome, welcome, or turn away? Are the marks understood as part of what it means to be human, or do they mark us as other? Are the marks seen with empathy and understanding? Oh, I've, I've been there. I, I, I can relate to that. And I want to say this morning, for far too long, religious and medical and other communities have done incredible damage, ostracizing and ignoring and dehumanizing those who live with mental illness, declaring in essence, you are mental illness. The subtext of that is there's something wrong with you. If you were stronger or had more willpower or were just could act normal or were a better, better person, then you wouldn't have that mark of mental illness. But that is wrong. That is wrong. I think of marks like scars. I have a scar right here above my lip. Some of you have seen this, I'm sure. It's from a serious bike accident a number of years ago where I went down and my face hit the pavement and I rolled around. This scar is a part of me, but it's not all of me. This scar is a part of my life. It's shaped my life in some very small ways. People often come up to me like, Justin, you have a little bit of mayonnaise or there's something on your lip right there. And often now I just say, thanks for letting me know. 
because I don't want to go into the whole story and explain what it is. So it's marked my life in very small ways, but it is not my life. It does not define me. It's a part of me. It's a piece of me. I can't get rid of it, but it is not all of who I am. It does not tell the story of my life. We are all marked in different ways, but no mark defines us. No mark pushes us outside the circle of dignity and respect and care. Not the mark of depression, not the mark of bipolar disorder, not being neuroatypical, not having schizophrenia, not post-traumatic stress disorder. None of those things push us outside the circle of care and love. And what I want to say this morning to all of you, to this congregation, to this body of people in the balcony and here in our choir, is I see you. I see you living with your mental health challenges and needs. I see you accompanying those who live with mental health challenges and needs. I see you struggling when it feels heavy and impossible, and I so often see you reaching out for support when you know those lifelines are what you must have. I see you. And these next words I'm going to share, I want you to hear them and take them in. They are from Mickey Scott Bay Jones, a justice doula. She calls herself a consultant and a speaker. They are words I want to embody and embed in our community as we hold the challenging and beautiful ways that we are all marked. She writes this, together we will create brave spaces. Together, we will create brave space because there is no such thing as a safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars, marks, and we have all caused wounds. In this space right here, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more love and truth. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. <laughs> Could that have landed at a better line? <laughs> <laughs> divine, divine sign. This space will not be perfect. Our cell phones, it'll happen. It all happens. It's just what it means to be human. It is not always what we wish it would be, but it is what it is, and it will be our brave space together, and we will work on it side by side. We will work on it side by side. So friends, let this be our brave space together, a place where we let our light shine, where we refuse to mark one another in painful and in hurtful ways, a place where we can let our true colors radiate out. <laughs> now I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> like cell phones just start. Everybody want to check your pockets, see how your phones are doing? <laughs> oh. It's hard when, you know, it's like as a preacher, you kind of get the, the momo, you're, you're going. You're like, all right, I'm moving in toward the end. I'm coming into the conclusion. 
Um, so you're with me. You're all, we're all in this together. We're here. You're here with me. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I learned something from Isha this morning, which was just a beautiful thing. Thank you. Which is um, just asking for what you need. Sometimes it just feels impossible. Martha shared that too. And sometimes, like, thank you for just being in it with me. That's what I need in this moment as we move toward the end of this, this sermon. So this is that place where we can let our true colors radiate out, where we can say, this is who I am inside, and I'm not going to hide, because the greatest risk we'll ever take by far is to stand in the light and be seen as we are. Let this be our brave place. Let this be that place we say, this is us. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.